Hi everyone, welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this final episode of Season 8 of The Green Room Podcast, we're going to be talking about green finance with those involved in this year's Global Fintech Accelerator. For those not familiar, the Global Fintech Accelerator is a hackathon that happens in the lead-up to Singapore Fintech Fest every year. If you listen to our episode with Pat Patel from Elevandi, where we went behind the scenes of Singapore Fintech Fest, one of the highlights that he mentioned was the Accelerator. The theme of this year's Accelerator was Harnessing Technology to Power Green Finance. Three winners were announced during the festival out of 20 finalists and nearly 500 submissions. Today, we'll be speaking with Tech Yu Chia, Vice Chairman of Oliver Wyman, about OW's role in organizing the Accelerator and how they view the sustainable finance ecosystem in Asia. We also have Puneeth Chada, CEO of Global Initiatives and advisor to Rudant, who actually participated in Accelerator. We'll hear about his experience and the solution that the team came up with. Big congrats to Puneeth and the team for being the Accelerator winner. Oliver Wyman is a global management consulting firm, and they have been keen supporters of the Singapore Fintech Fest and developing the Asian financial ecosystem. You can learn more about them by visiting oliverwyman.com. Rudant builds digital infrastructure that enables neobanking in Asia, and Global Initiatives helps companies assess their sustainability footprints through reports and programs. You can learn more about them by visiting rudant.com and globalinitiatives.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apexplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the Green Room. It's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the Green Room brings to you as a a knowledge sharing base. You can find out more about Apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about Oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, Puneet. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so before we get into uh, Rudan and Global Initiatives and Accelerator, I actually want to dig into your backgrounds a little bit more. So Techie, why don't we start with you? Um, you're currently a vice chairman at OW with a focus on financial services. Uh, and it seems like you've actually spent many years in the advisory field, but you've also worked closely with a number of startups. Can you tell us a little bit more about your advisory career and how you became involved in the Singapore, uh, Singapore startup scene? Yeah, sure. So I've been, um, I guess I've been flipping in and out of corporate life. So I've done my corporate world, retired from it, went into a 
venture capital fund, you know, working with startups, starting stage, and then came back into the corporate world, or advisory world. So I think I've been doing a fair bit of that. I think what is interesting now is that a lot of startups are obviously maturing. And I think if you cast, if I cast my mind back, say 10 years back, um, the quality of startups now are obviously a lot better, right? And I think that gives you an opportunity how we can help, you know, as a firm, but even as an individual and an advisor on how we can actually help uh, these sort of startups, you know, get commercial a lot faster, right? So that's always been my background. I think in, in all environment, as a vice chairman, I look at financial services and public policy, which makes, uh, you know, uh, working with MBS the, the perfect target, given that they are public policy and financial services. And, you know, personally, I've been engaged with them for many years in different capacities. I'm also, you know, a long term in the Singapore FinTech Association. There are lots of startups. So that's been, you know, sort of my, my genesis. And uh, when this thing came out for, you know, for us to run an accelerator, um, I, think, I think it's sort of something that, you know, we're all about. Yep. Yeah, that's really great, Techu, and it sounds like you have been really involved. So, Puneet, why don't we look at your background? Because I think you've actually spent many years in the banking sector. Um, today, you're the CEO and head of Southeast Asia at HSBC Global Asset Management. But from looking at your CV, it looks like you've worked in almost every division of HSBC. You're also the designated CEO of Global Initiatives, which participated in the Hackcelerator um, and as an advisor to Group Ant. Can you tell us a little bit about your work at HSBC and how this got got you involved in green tech and sustainability, and of course the accelerator? Sure, sure. So good to be uh, good to be on the podcast, Amrita. Thanks for having me. So you're right. My most of my background really has been financial services, uh, and almost all of it was with HSBC. But HSBC is a big space. Uh, so what it does is it allows you to move around into different components of uh, of financial uh, services. And that's what I did over the the 20 odd years that I spent with them. Um, My career was more like a private equity style career where uh, I moved into businesses that needed to be turned around or scaled. And that gave me the opportunity to get exposed to different disciplines. Um, So uh, having spent as much time as I did with financial services and different components, um, I, I did have did have that sort of urge to to work with something that I could sort of control uh, because all said and done, uh, HSBC is a large organization, so that exposes you to the the intricacies of a, of a multinational, whereas a startup has, has much more agility. So I came to Singapore about six years ago, decided to make it home here. And at that point in time, uh, my wife and I invested in, in global initiatives, uh, which was a sustainability startup of sorts. And we thought we'd give it a different direction. Uh, it was largely involved in communication around sustainability. We thought we'd make it a company that helps smaller firms uh, become more sustainable or start their journey in sustainability. And along the way, I got introduced to uh, to Rootant, uh, who are doing a wonderful job and in, in creating an ecosystem of supply chain finance using blockchain. And we decided that, you know, individually, though we were strong, we could be stronger if the two propositions came together. And we decided to partner. Rutan also invited me to be an advisor to the firm. So I got a good understanding of both the background, the, the promoters, as well as what they were doing. Uh, and we decided to sort of come up. So, so come together in a partnership. So that was really uh, uh, how it all started. And then, you know, Singapore is a, is a small place with, with a lot of information uh, that sort of goes around uh, 
uh, especially relevant information. And, you know, we got introduced to the idea of the FinTech Festival, the Accelerator, uh, and we thought, you know, this would be a really good endorsement and also give us an, uh, an opportunity to understand where we stood vis-a-vis a number of other players uh, out in the market. So that, in a nutshell, is is where I am now. So uh, uh, it's the second phase of my career, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like similar to similarly to Tech you, you've been able to um, get involved in the Singapore startup seed in a meaningful way, in a meaningful way that leverages, you know, all of the work you've done, uh, you know, in in your longtime HSBC banking career. So, Tech you, back to you. Uh, you know, you told us a little bit about your uh, your career in advisory services, and then also how you've been involved in the Singapore fintech scene, and you know, being involved in various councils like the Singapore Fintech Association and various others. I also think that you, I've heard that you have a special interest in climate and sustainability, and so I wanted to understand a little bit more about that. How did you get involved, and why is this so important for you personally, and also for OW and and your clients? Yeah, so I think I think it's um, lots of things coming together, right? So I think in the in the personal space, when you've got a 17, 18 year old daughter, you start to hear a lot about sustainability at home, right? So so you actually get that a lot, right? Um, at the work again, I think um, Oliver Wyman sort of started looking at the sustainability space. I think a lot earlier than most firms. So as far back as you know, two years ago, when when you know, the whole idea of having a COP26 was, was being mooted, the World Economic Forum with uh, their Davos conversations. There was a lot of things that, that we were working with them that were, I, I guess, a lot more, a lot less consulting, but a lot more, I call it science-based, right? So we were actually putting, you know, very strong, you know, sort of uh, modelers in place to actually look at how we can actually model out what the impact of uh, or, or, or impact of uh, not doing things right the right way would, would, would end up. So we were we were very good at quantifying impact, right? And I think that put us in a position where it's not just about talking about sustainability, but actually measuring it, shouting out the impacts, and actually coming up with a transition roadmap, literally set, sector by sector, right? And we saw when we brought these ideas back to to MES in our conversation on how we can work. Right, this was obviously something that resonated with them, right? And I think same conversations happened with, you know, with me having with uh, the, the Ministry of Sustainability, and I think what is being called out now is literally the call to action, right? Rather than to you know write more and more white papers and postulate about why this is important, we just need to actually start acting on things. Techie, that's a really good point, and I think. You know, having worked as a consultant myself many years ago, we often get get told, oh, you're just advising, you're not actually doing anything, you're just writing long PowerPoint decks and presenting them with nothing at stake on the table. But I think what Oliver Wyman has done is really amazing because you're actually saying, no, it's not just about talk, we're going to engage the right stakeholders and we're going to do something about it. So cheers to you and, and OW for taking the initiative on that. I think it's also a good point to Talk about the accelerator itself because that is a huge uh, action item that OW took on and and was an extremely successful event at Singapore FinTech Fest. Um, so let's talk about that the the accelerator. And I should also mention that my last job actually before I moved to Singapore was with the Alliance for Innovative Regulation in the U.S., where I actually organized the first ever tech sprint or hackathon uh, for U.S. regulators. Uh, similar concept as the as the accelerator bringing in fintechs. 
and trying to come up with solutions uh, for regulators and for the industry, for the industry generally. And I remember it being a really challenging, but also rewarding experience. So maybe Techie, from your perspective, from the OW perspective, can you tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like organizing, organizing and sponsoring the Accelerator? What were the biggest challenges you faced, especially with like the, the virtual format this year of the festival? Um, what are the challenges you faced, and then also any opportunities that you saw as an organizer and sponsor? So I think I think the key thing is we've seen a lot of accelerators, um, you know, in in play, right? And I think the big difference is that we were really aiming for it to be um, one global, right? So global participation is always a challenge and therefore needed more time. Uh, the second one was really looking at um, the problem statements, right? So we felt that unless you've got clear problem statements, it becomes generic. And it's very hard to even be able to, I guess, compare um, applicants to each other because they'll be so diverse. Right. So I think this year when we started working with the MAS, the fact that it was uh, focused on green alone rather than financial inclusion and, uh, you know, right tech, soup tech and all the other themes that could come up, it became a lot more focused, right? The, the flip side of that is because it's more focused, we were also concerned that you might not get as many applicants. Right. So that was the balance. But we were quite happy to end up with, you know, 400 plus, close to 500 applications. We were also, um, I guess, concerned somewhat with the virtual nature because the the, the hexagon for us wasn't just about a, um, you know, online application and online judging, right? We wanted to make sure that every applicant who becomes a finalist actually has an outcome, right? And the outcome includes uh, corporate mentorship, you know, includes us as other women hoping to provide the right fundamental knowledge about Southeast Asia and those to them, right? The, the ways of working here, the, the, the landscape and everything else. And ultimately also for the last 20, to be able to work with corporate sponsors, right? To actually create almost a prototype that's relevant to the market here. So there's a lot to it, right? So, so I think that was where we want to make sure that, you know, we get the right number of applicants, we have the right quality, and we have those that are able to work, you know, and benefit from the, from the process itself. Yeah. Got it. And thank you. How were you able to assess those, uh, assess those submissions and the applicants that you saw? How were you able to assess them, uh, especially since you had people joining from all over the world? So we, we also made sure that this wasn't a Purely on the MAS thing, right? So when we started the planning, we started to talk to um, uh, corporates and banks or financial institutions, one for their problem statements to make it real. So it's not our problem statements, it's the industry problem statements. Two, to also rally them to provide judges, right? So we have real industry practitioners who made up the panel of judges that got us, you know, so, so we did the initial um, sizing from a you know, the 500 to 50, right? From the 50 to 20, we actually leveraged a panel of judges from the industry, right? And I think that's where we got uh, involvement, right? So it becomes a, almost an ecosystem of, of interested parties, right? And post that selection from 50 to 20, a number of the corporate sponsors also nominated mentors to work with, you know, these 20 companies. 
It sounds like you had engagement across the spectrum, across the industry, which is, which is really great. Um, I also wanted to ask, you mentioned the problem statements. I think that's a really important part of the Hackcelerator because it really focuses what people work on. Obviously, the theme was you know, harnessing technology to power green finance, which is a very big idea. But in order to make it more tangible, as you said, you need to have problem statements which really get to the explicit tactical problems that you're trying to solve. Can you talk a little bit more about the, I think there were three problem statements. Can you talk about the three different problem statements and, you know, why you decided to narrow in on those areas? So I think there were three buckets of problem statements, right? And we put in the three together. The first was about how we use technology to literally do the capital mobilization. How we attract more people, not just the banks, right, but also others to actually start investing or lending in this space, right? So it was, and to lend, you need both sides. You need one, the lenders, two, you need good access to lend to, right? So that was the first pillar. The second pillar was, <clears throat> how do you then use technology to measure the impact, right? So it wasn't just about, okay, I'll lend you because you say you're green, right? But we won't then say that, okay, what sort of data can we capture in an easy and efficient way to be able to, to measure the impact of this? And the third pillar was uh, ongoing commitment, right? So we don't want to measure impact upfront where you say, okay, in order to get this loan, I will tell you what the impact is, right? We want to be able to say that if, if that's the committed impact, how do we continuously then measure the, the, committed, uh, the, the committed amount, right? So it's, you know, most of these projects will be multi-year, or if you were to give a you know green loan to, to a, a corporate that is um, doing a new program or a new product that's green, again, that is usually a multi-year effort. So how do I continue to monitor that sort of commitment, right? That will make the lending actually um, more tangible, right? So the banks will be you know, willing to release more if you're able to measure impact and measure commitment as well. Got it. Got it. I, I love the, the framing of that. It's sort of like, what's the impact? Like, how do we uh, get more impact in the first place? How do we uh, make sure the commitment is being honored? And then how are we measuring the outcomes? I think that's a really nice way of uh, framing what is actually needed in the industry. Um, Puneet, I want to turn it over to you uh, and talk a little bit about the participant side of the Hackcelerator. I also remember when I organized uh, the tech sprint in the U.S. that there was a lot of excitement, but also uncertainty from a lot of the participants, especially those that may not have done this before. So I wanted to ask you, one, have you done uh, this type of thing before, a hackathon uh, or Hackcelerator? And what were your expectations going in? So, uh, no, we hadn't participated in any such uh, program prior to uh, the accelerator. Um, and I have to say, we, we did start with a feeling of um, apprehension, but it didn't last very long because I think very soon uh, into the process, we sort of felt that we were being handheld uh, in, a, in a very comprehensive way. Uh, there was a lot of information and in a very structured way uh, that was coming through. It was well, very well thought through. We also had access to uh, people who had participated in the past, so uh, we could speak to some of them. Uh, and the whole process was actually designed to be uh, quite efficient in the sense that uh, there were, they were always, uh, uh, I would say, restrictions in terms of how much you could say and how much you could submit. 
uh, and that kind of forced you to be quite uh, quite precise. So uh, overall, I felt that it was it was a very um, a, a very good experience in in all respects. So not not threatening at all. That's really great. I think it can sometimes be a little scary for some people to join. I think my first hackathon, I was terrified. I had no idea what I was getting into. So I'm glad that you felt like you were supported and had the right resources to be successful. Can you tell me a little bit more about your team? How was it structured? And, you know, how did you decide which problem statement that you wanted to work on? So as I said, uh, we really came together along with Rutan to, to put together a proposition that would help small companies uh, get started on sustainability. And one of the big questions that most small companies ask when you, when you introduce them to sustainability is what's in it for me? Uh, why should I do it? Um, and green finance or access to financing was one hook uh, that we felt was, was something that cut across industry segments. Uh, so that's the sort of background of our partnership with Rutan. Rutan creates an, an ecosystem for supply chain finance and global initiatives helps with the green assessment for participants in that, in that uh, supply chain. So when we brought this to uh, this proposition together, we felt that uh, it was powerful, uh, but we needed uh, validation. We needed external validation to, to suggest to us whether there were areas that where we needed to do more or uh, validation to say that we were on the right path. So this is how we actually put the business together. It's quite neatly divided. Um, so we, we don't, it's not a, it's, it's, a, it's a joint proposition, but it's not a single proposition. So Rutand has a platform called Banco that actually helps suppliers to big companies sign up uh, and then sort of, you know, get access to supply chain finance using blockchain technology. Uh, and they can choose to do that independent of the green assessment. On that platform, we've built the capability for these small companies to volunteer or opt for green assessment. Uh, the green assessment itself is not based on any global standard or, or sort of net zero mission. What we've done is, uh, A, we've, we've tailored it for smaller companies in the sense that we don't really uh, ask for any publicly available information. We rely on submissions by the participant. And secondly, we've actually made the comparisons based on peer evaluation. So uh, the small companies really get a kick out of the fact that they're not just getting a sustainability report, which might be the first sustainability report ever, but they get a good comparison of where they stand in their industry sector. So this is how we've structured it. Uh, it's not mandatory for anyone who's joining the platform to go through a green assessment, but over a period of time, we find that uh, uh, they will get encouraged, especially uh, as the platform also allows banks to come in and use this information and provide financing to these uh, these suppliers. So that's the structure of our operation. Got it. That's that's really exciting. I think um, it, it, that was a really good pitch, actually, Panitha. I don't know if you were the person giving the pitch to the judges, but it sounded really good. <laughs> um, actually, and I should ask, Panitha, what was your role on the team? Did you have... Um, different roles and responsibilities? Were you in charge of something in particular? How did that look? What was it like interacting with your teammates? Yeah. So, uh, yes, you're right. In a, in, in a manner of speaking, I led the participation. Um, so I think that that made the, the process quite simple because there was one person leading it. And then I had a team of people from Global Initiatives and, of, of course, from Rutant. Uh, and we sort of divided the task into different components um, and uh, based on the organization skill set and put together a proposition for, uh, for the accelerator. So, and as I said, the guidelines were pretty clear. 
and the timelines were pretty tight. So uh, even though, and for us, doubly so, because you know, if you're one single organization and you've got a five-minute pitch, uh, you can you can say what you need to say. But if you have two companies, then you've got to divide that equally without sort of one uh, taking up more than proportionate amount of time. So, but I thought it was done in a very very good spirit of cooperation, collaboration, and ultimately, I think that came through as a consistent message. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It sounds like you found a very good collaborative way to work together. And I think, you know, providing that perspective on what it was actually like and roles in the in the hack in the accelerator are really important, especially for those, you know, founders or people working in fintech out there who may want to participate in uh next year's, or I guess it's now this year's accelerator uh for, for Singapore FinTech Fest. And I definitely encourage folks to do that. So Panit, you gave us you gave us the pitch. Uh, now I have to ask TechU, since TechU, I'm sure you heard many pitches over the course of the Hackcelerator. Tell us about Rudan and Global Initiatives, why you like their solution and why you think they won. Yeah, I think I think if you look at if you look at the proposition that came out, right? We were looking at you know the three pillars we talked about, right? So mobilization of capital. I think the way Rudan has been already existing, having a platform to mobilize capital into, into trade finance and, and supply chain, right? They already had that mechanism or the, that existing organization in place, right? And then you look at data to measure impact and to measure commitment. That's where global initiatives bring in, right? So the joining of these two are not, it's not accidental. Right? Joining of these two allow us to see all three pillars coming into action. And I thought that was the, the big differentiator. I think it had, had global initiatives or and applied independently, right? I think the results might have been different. So this was a real good case of them understanding the big picture, right? It's not one of the three or two of the three. All three needs to happen to make this a success. And did you see that consistently across the winners, Techu? Or uh, tell can you tell us a little bit about the other winners and what else the judges were looking for as they assess different solutions? Yeah, so I think we, we looked at a couple of things. We also looked at, you know, the, the, the readiness to implement some of these things, right? So, so what we have seen, frankly, a lot of uh, what we call first pillar, where people already have a, you know, sort of a, 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 I guess, a fundraising platform where they could raise green bonds, where they could, you know, have uh, micro, micro loans into green projects. I think that was flavor of the month, right? It's, it's almost goes back to your own peer-to-peer, uh, you know, uh, uh, investment platform, peer-to-peer lending platforms. That had a green twist to that, right? So the more green projects, the more people interested in it. So that's that's one bucket that we saw a lot. Um, and so it was really hard to differentiate in that sense, right? The ones that we have seen that are also interesting are those that have been able to gather data, right? And again, this peer comparison things that, that Puneet was mentioning, it's not enough to just know what one company is doing. But as you collect more data, you can say that, okay, companies of your size in this location has this sort of footprint, right? And that's when you can measure against each other. And the other winners were somewhat in that sort of category where they've done this in, in the, their home locations and, and, and elsewhere. And we're trying to see whether we can actually get these overseas companies to transport that model into Southeast Asia. Because I think Southeast Asia is still at an early stage on getting sort of sector industry data platforms in place. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from a lot of my 
you know, interviews with other founders that I've chatted with across Southeast Asia, it does seem like there's a lot of kind of copying and pasting models that have worked elsewhere and bringing them to this region so that, you know, we can thrive here in a similar way. So that's um, definitely something not just not just focused on the sustainability and climate space. So it sounds like uh, the Hackcelerator was a really awesome experience, both from an organizer perspective as well as a participant perspective. But what now? What does this mean for uh, OW and Root Ant and global initiatives going forward? Maybe, Paneet, we'll start with you. What are your priorities and the team's priorities going forward? How are you going to actually bring your idea into the real world now that you've got $50,000 and the winner's badge? Yeah. So let me clarify. It's actually $70,000. because 70. Yeah, it is. Uh, because I think you get 20 when you qualify as a finalist. And then when you make it as a winner, then you get another 50. So um, it's, uh, it's enough to buy lunch. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, look, I think um, it, it fills us with a, with a huge amount of confidence um, uh, because you compete uh, with people from around the world. Uh, and this year, I think the, the uh, accelerator opened up to other finalists from, from other such programs. So it was, it was even sweeter. Uh, it also gives us uh, the ability to sharpen our pitch, uh, and I'm glad you noticed it because uh, a lot of it was to do with the way we were uh, we were literally sort of you know guided into into to making the presentation to the judges. So it sharpens our uh, our understanding of our our own sort of proposition. Now, in terms of next steps, I think there are two areas that we're working on. So as as a winner of the accelerator, we also get access or fast track for uh, certain grants that the MAS offers. So that again gives us uh, gives us the ability to sort of raise some financing. We've had access to some VC networks through the uh, through the uh, OW sponsored process, uh, the accelerator process. So that's a set of conversations that we're sort of picking up on. And the third area really is to use this endorsement to go out and talk to people and see how we can uh, we can get clients on board. So we've got some pilots that are already underway. And uh, the idea is to build scale uh, in, a, in, a, in double quick time. And, and the, the other thing I would say is that this has also given us a bit of an insight into how we might want to refine our uh, proposition. So, you know, we work with mentors as well. As Dick, you mentioned, the part of the program was to expose us to, uh, to corporate mentors. And uh, as a result of that interaction, we've had some insights into how large organizations think or see things. Uh, which was a little different to the way we initially perceived them to be. And that has led us to reshape some of our propositions or sort of, you know, refine them. So I think in, there are many, many different aspects that, uh, that I think we benefited from as a result of this. Got it. That's great. And it sounds like you've got clear next steps and even more uh, opportunities and funding where that came from. Tech you on the organizer side, how are, is OW going to continue working with Hexcelerator participants over the course of the next year? Is there a plan for 2022 Singapore Fintech Fest? Um, yeah, so some of the, I guess some of the sponsors that we have are already clients, right? And, and the problem statements that they've provided are real problems, right? So our role is, you know, potentially working with, with people like Punit to actually do a pilot for some of these, for some of these clients, right? Where we can actually design and built alongside you know uh, uh, players like Rutan and, and the global initiatives to actually then you know launch it and monitor for a period right and that's where we can help build scale <coughs> and I think a lot of those players uh, tend to be either regional banks 
the headquarters here, all the large local banks with a footprint outside of Singapore as well. So getting the first piece done and then scaling it through you know, um, the network, right? Their, their regional network, the government network will be all opportunities that we can work on. Sounds like applications across the board. Are there any other insights or takeaways that y'all would want to share about the accelerator? Otherwise, I thought we could spend a few minutes zooming out and talking about climate change and sustainability more broadly. Well, I guess uh, the the uh, the only other comment I'd make is uh, um, so when you have a, a an event which is in person, you also get a, a huge opportunity to interact and rub shoulders with peers and corporations and such like, which in a virtual world is. Uh, is, uh, is, is kind of restricted. So I guess uh, participants who are looking at the accelerator going forward uh, can also look forward to that kind of interaction. Hopefully 2022 is the year where we uh, can do this in person. <laughs> All right, so why don't, we, why don't we zoom out a little bit because I think the climate and sustainability industry broadly, there's, there's just so much going on and I wanna unpack this a little bit for our listeners. And we're also lucky to have both of you as guests today because you've been in the financial sector for many years and have been able to see it evolve. What have you seen in the sector, financial services particularly, that's allowing it or pushing it to meet the challenge of climate change? And is the sector doing enough? You know, you take a big step back. This is probably the most unifying idea that the, you know, the, the, the industry has right, in, in terms of working together. So I guess in COP26, right, the formation of GFAIRS is the global financial line for net zero, right, it's, it's a great starting point. And a lot of the larger banks have committed to net zero position by, you know, 2030, 2050, whatever the, the timing might be for them. But the commitments are being made, right? So like I said, the, 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 the two things will happen is how do we get more banks across the world and not just in the, in the, so starting defense uh, community to also sign up to that and not banks but you know financial institutions right the insurers as managers and so on and the second thing is how do we then go beyond the planning into the actions right and and it's two sides of a coin you can't really just talk about financial institutions we are talking about the people who are borrowing from the financial institutions right so how do we get the, the energy companies how to get the airlines how to get the shipping companies and logistics companies all those who are big users right of, of, of uh, energy today but also the producers like the, the, the coal and, and uh, you know alternative energy how do we ready all of that right so the money is committed right so banks are committing that we will lend to the right projects the right borrowers in order to you know but the other side is the one that needs to also work on it so it's not just financial institutions to get a burden of doing the, 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 the transformation. Got it. Makes sense. And the way you said that, Techie, it makes me think that pretty much everybody, whether whatever industry you're in, uh, it's almost like it's not a choice. You have to get on board with climate change and addressing these issues. Otherwise, you're going to be left behind. Yeah. And, and I guess I guess the wave came more from the European side following the Paris Accord and all. But I think Asia you know, uh, Latin America, Africa, is somewhat playing catch up to that because I think there are three parties there, right? There are the corporates, there are the, the, the financial institutions, and the governments, right? So a lot of times it's the government that sets the ambition for their countries, their, their commitments, 
and then is pushing it to the private sector, right? But the the Asian and some of the other emerging markets have not made as clear commitment yet from a government level. I think this is something that that needs to happen very quickly. Got it. Got it. Um, let me, Puneet, from your perspective, what have you seen evolve in the industry as we think more and more about climate change and sustainability? Sure. So I think, uh, you know, Tiki is absolutely right. It is probably the most unifying uh, aspect that, uh, that cuts across industry sectors. And I think banks, because they have a role to play in the community, they have a, a, a reputational issue uh, to, to address have been quick off the block and also because they don't really have any significant costs to change. So if you have an energy major who needs to, to sort of go green, they have to rework their supply chain and their manufacturing setup, whereas banks don't have that cost. As a result, they've been, they've been pretty quick off the block in terms of supporting uh, green initiatives. Um, and they have, uh, most major banks have actually set targets for green loans you know, and significant green loans or committing significant amounts of balance sheet in pretty short periods of time. So this is very encouraging. Uh, but then this to me leads to, to, to two different problems. The first is that uh, they are, there is no unanimity amongst banking, uh, the banking sector in terms of what frameworks they're gonna use to actually um, arrive at these kind of assessments. Uh, at this point in time, almost every bank is doing their own sort of framework. So uh, that can be quite dysfunctional when it comes to the borrower, because you end up looking at four or five different banks with different requirements. They might have something pretty central at the core, but you know, on the fringes, they are very different. So that makes it a bit difficult to, uh, uh, to implement. And because you have banks who have big targets and you have, uh, you have uh, frameworks that are not that uh, uh, sort of universal, you then start to drift into what I would sort of uh, venture out and call greenwashing. People start getting desperate and they start sort of, you know, uh, taking broad interpretations. So I think what we really need is a, a uniform framework of assessment. What good looks like needs to be consistent across all banks. Otherwise, you're going to have adverse selection. You know, people will go to companies that have a lower standard and you have you, you, you run the risk of that creep taking place. Uh, I think the regulators are quite uh, uh, alive to this problem, and uh, they're really looking to see how they can create frameworks in place. But uh, I'm not seeing uh, the sense of urgency that I would like uh, for this kind of unanimity to or uniformity to to sort of develop. Got it. Thanks, Puneet. And that, that that point around greenwashing is a really important one. I actually wanted to dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, back in November, actually, MAS, Monetary Authority of Singapore, announced that it's going to increasingly try to curb greenwashing. But maybe for those listeners who may not know, can you tell us a little bit more what, what is greenwashing and why is it something that we need to be so wary of? So greenwashing is pretending to be honest when you're not. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's, that's really what it's all about. So greenwashing is about you know, emphasizing or overemphasizing areas which are sort of low-hanging fruit, which don't really, really require effort, uh, or, for example, um, uh, are not nearly enough uh, in terms of making an impact. Um, so a lot of these sustainability reports that you talk about, uh, that you read, um, uh, do focus on some of this aspect. They try and extol the virtues of the organization's efforts in beach cleaning and, you know, 
um, traffic island sponsorships and so on and so forth. The real hard uh, job is in greening the supply chain in sort of, you know, reworking the office environment and so on and so forth. I think the pandemic in its own way has given us the opportunity to relook at business models and, and make those changes. Um, and technology is also now making it far easier for people, consumers, suppliers, and other stakeholders, even at the board level, to cut through some of these um, sort of reports and see exactly what the what is happening uh, or in terms of implementation on ground. So yeah, I, I probably I can go on for uh, for an extended period of time, but I'll leave it at that. Got it. Thanks, Benit. And I guess from both of your perspectives, I mean, obviously greenwashing is a big risk when it comes to the financial sector, really any any sector trying to get on board with climate change. Um, are there any other risks that you see that you know our listeners should be wary of when it comes to organizations trying to fight climate change? Yeah, I think I think I think greenwashing even by itself is not as black black or white, you know, as, as we think, right? Because I think one of the biggest risks is just things like double counting, triple counting. Right. So if you start looking at greening a supply chain. Right. One action that's taken, you know, um, obviously could then impact multiple participants in the supply chain. But if everybody counts that as their own impact, you'll be double counting, triple counting. Right. So, so part of this whole thing about measuring impact, right, is 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 it's not measuring impact on the company itself, but measuring impact on climate itself. Are you really contributing to the reduction in, you know, the, 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 the rising temperatures, right? So that's where a very scientific way of measuring this becomes important, right? And I think we're still very far from getting it right, right? That's why there's a lot of work done in this space. So climate change is very, very much a scientific approach to it right now. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess we're taking baby steps in the right direction, but uh, we need to move faster, I'm sure. Jumping back a little bit, y'all both mentioned many different stakeholders in the industry. You talked about big corporates, big banks, regulators, uh, but given that a lot of the listeners to the show are actually fintechs, uh, founders and people working in the fintech startup space, what do you think the fintech responsibility is when it comes to climate change and sustainability? What can fintechs do to improve their goals, improve their outcomes, uh, especially when they may not have as big of budgets as some of the bigger organizations or have mandates as big as the government. What can fintechs be doing uh, to further the climate change goals at this point? There are two types of the fin- fintechs involved here, right? One is the fintechs that are, you know, sort of um, capital platform, right? People, people who have done peer-to-peer lending, you know, the, 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 the bond issuance, they have democratized the opportunity to, you know, move money around, right? <laughs> they need to then focus on, can I use this platform to then promote green financing, right? So again, your green bonds, you could, you know, do literally green mini projects as well, right? So there's a lot of peer-to-peer lending on projects. So how do you add a flavor to that? How do you make sure that interested people, you know, could actually land $500 each, right? The pool of money to then help you know, a, a plastic bag manufacturer pivot towards paper bags, right? Or whatever it be, or paper straws, right? So how do we actually make that happen more often and, and, and easier? 
Because it's the same thing. The smaller companies that want to go green typically don't have access to bank lending, right? Because ultimately, when a bank looks at uh, credit risk, right, and when look look at a project whether it's green or not, the underlying thing they still have to look at is credit risk, right? And a lot of these smaller companies wouldn't qualify because of track record or whatever. So the avenue for them to raise money comes from the fintech community. That's one. The other one is fintechs tend to have the right technology, right? So like root end, you know, is is you know has built their platform based on blockchain, right? Uh, companies like Blue Initiatives have a very strong understanding of data technology. So this is where they use the underlying technology that they have to contribute, right, as assets into this whole green platforms. Yeah, no, just uh, uh, the point I was going to make was that, you know, we tend to focus, in my view, overemphasize the role of green. Uh, you know, sustainability is a lot more than just the carbon footprint. Carbon footprint is important. Uh, 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 no question about that. But sustainability has a very strong social dimension and a governance dimension. So uh, in that respect, fintechs are no different to any other big or small company that you have out there. Uh, in terms of their responsibility towards their employees, their responsibility towards diversity, their responsibility to their wider ecosystem. Because, uh, you know, I, I go back to my favorite example. If you really want to see a parallel to sustainability or green, uh, it's anti-money laundering that came in after we had the terrorist attacks and then the whole financial system sort of uh, pivoted to a uniform standard of what, what was anti-money laundering. And and the reason why we're in a good place today uh, uh, in the AML space is because it's become endemic. It's it, everybody has a good understanding. It's it, you know the outliers are the ones that get that identified. Uh, people who don't follow it. Most most other uh, ecosystems follow it. The same thing needs to apply to sustainability. You can't just have uh, you know pockets of, of of organizations who are focusing on it. You've got to develop a wider ecosystem. It has to become the default sort of hygiene factor, if you will. Got it. Thank you, Paneet. Thank you, Techie. Those are really great insights. And I think good guidance for a lot of the fintechs uh, as they think about how to set up their governance structures or think about what partners and customers to serve. I think those are both, uh, or those are those are really great insights. We're just about out of time. So last question to both of you. It's the beginning of 2022. I'm really into resolutions. We actually talked about uh, resolutions in our last episode. So, you know, as we start off 2022, and think about the future and think about fighting climate change. What are your New Year's resolutions that we can that we can also take from you uh, when it comes to furthering the fight against climate change? Yeah, I think for, for me, it's really making this climate change real, right? And the way you do it at, at a personal level is to make sure that we have enough conversations at the senior levels, not just about um, your products, that they have, but literally like what Pune is saying, the entire spectrum of ESG, right? So diversity comes into play, governance comes into play, but how do you embed it across an organization, right? So when we work with clients, you know, it's not just a CEO conversation, it's not just a board conversation, but how do we cascade the thing, right? The whole whole theme of ESG, right down to the operating levels, right? Into processes, into policies, into products, into how to manage channels and so on and so forth. Yeah, so for me, it's really focus uh, because sustainability is such a wide space and the opportunities are enormous. And you're almost going to kind of get sort of lured into, into doing multiple things at the same time and you end up sort of spreading yourself too thin. 
So my new year resolution as a company is just, you know, identify the space that you really want to own and focus on it to the exclusion of everything else. That's great. I love that. So let's take, take real actionable steps and let's focus our, our energy. Techie Puneet, thank you so much for being here today. I think that's all the time we have. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you to you and thank you to our audience for joining us on The Green Room. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. That's all for season two of the Green Room podcast with Amrita Veer. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would love for you to give us five stars and write us a review. We are already recording season three and are excited to bring in more perspectives on green finance, Web3, financial inclusion, and many more. We are also always on the lookout for awesome entrepreneurs and thought leaders to interview and opportunities to connect with anyone interested in fintech and emerging markets. You can also visit amritavir.com to get more information, join our mailing list, or just reach out to us. Thanks for your support. Catch you later.